Danny, could you turn up the house lights a little bit, please, so I can... Hey, before I even get started this morning, uh, I do want to acknowledge uh, some good news this morning. Well, I acknowledge it this morning. I found out about it the other day. But uh, we have a young couple here in the church who are newly engaged. And I'll not embarrass James and Trista, but, (laughs) you know, just to... Just want to say congratulations and, and Trista's face, even though the lights are down, I can see are is plenty red. And uh <laughs> somebody turn the air on. <laughs> hey, uh no shock to you guys, we're in Exodus. Uh this week we're uh moving over into Exodus chapter thirteen. We had finished up um Exodus 12 last week, and uh, having done that, we covered a few things, or a few things we had touched on uh, at the very beginning of, of the message last week in verse 40, we talked about how the Lord had kept a vigil over uh, uh, the children of Israel, the Hebrews, after 430 years of, of, of their uh, residency in Egypt, God brings them out, Right? And, and in response to God keeping vigil over them, and, and we defined what vigil was, it's, it's the watching with the intent to guard or to preserve, then God says to the uh, Hebrews that they are to keep a vigil over that experience, of that demonstration of, of God's goodness in their life. They're to keep a vigil over that, to protect that, to guard that, this experience in their life with God. And, it was, and, and, and in doing so, it was to honor God. And, uh, uh, and then the Lord gave, when we cover this, the Lord gave instructions regarding the Passover meal. But then we saw something uh, that, that God had done and uh, where, where God had demonstrated, even uh, in the deliverance of the children of, of Israel out of Egypt, a provision of grace and mercy for the foreigners that they might uh, be able to partake in the Passover as well. He made uh, uh, basically uh, not concessions because there was no compromise. But he did make provisions and, uh, to allow them to come in. But they had to adhere uh, to the standard of God, and that being the circumcision. You know, uh, God makes provisions, and, and he did. And, and God's made provisions for you and I to be a part of the kingdom. But the provision is contingent on uh, God's outline, God's guidance, God's established perimeters. And you and I come into a relationship with God, enter into the kingdom of God through Jesus. And he's, he's the only way, the truth and the life. He is the only way. There, no, there is no other name given under heaven by which man uh, uh, is to be saved. No other. It is Jesus and Jesus only. And so we see a demonstration of the provision of, of grace and mercy even in this portion of the scripture. And then... Uh, uh, we also touched on something that you and I both know to be true. We don't always like to point it out or address it. But we also uh, looked at a portion of the scripture where God mentioned people who were not to partake 
of Passover. And what he was referring to was the sojourners or the temporary residents and the hired workers. Now these were people who were given the same opportunity as others to come into the covenant through circumcision, partake of the Passover, but these were people who resisted that, who wanted to maintain their own autonomy, their own identity within the group. So we established last week that there's people traveling with the family, with the nation, who aren't necessarily part of the family or part of the nation. And we, we mentioned and highlighted that's a reality, isn't it? Churches are full of people who are along for the trip, but they're not really part of the church. And that's just a reality. That's a reality. I had uh, Jay Lynn told me, and we, we were talking about, and this ain't a knock against realtors. So all of you guys out there that are selling houses or realtors or whatnot, hey, uh, uh, apparently the market is yours, I suppose, at this moment. But Jay Lynn told me, he said, Trent, one of the first things that they will tell you whenever you're in the, in the realty business and you come into a, an area is find a church. Get in a church. It's, it's a big selling point. Get in a church. Make connections. You know, uh, for, for financial gain, for business, uh, uh, create a network. And, 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 and you would think the larger the church, the better. Right? Sojourners. Right? Wage workers. Right? That's what we're talking about. So when we go into a place like this, not everyone's praying. Not everyone's serving. Not everyone's sacrificing. Not everyone's loving God. And that's just a reality. But you and I aren't accountable for everyone. You and I are only accountable for me. And I don't mean you're accountable for me. I'm accountable for me. You're accountable for you. Right? All right. Now we're going to start on a sermon. All right. Let's, uh, let's roll over to Exodus chapter 13. We're going to run through a few things. And listen, we're, we're going to deal with remembering again because we're about to get some instructions here on uh, the, the festival of unleavened bread, right? We're about to read in, into some of that. And you're going to notice something that, that carries with it a sense of redundancy in the fact that God is still telling the Hebrews to remember, to remember, and to remember. Do you know why God is reiterating this need for them to remember? Because much like you and I, we have a propensity, a tendency to forget. Right? That is who we are. So when you see this redundance about God saying this over, and then three verses later, he says it again, and three verses later, it is said again, and it's reiterated, reiterated, reiterated. It is because of the audience, the hearer of those words. It isn't because God has forgotten or God needs to repeat and repeat. It's because you need it repeated. I need it repeated. And listen to all you young guys and gals. Let me say this to you. This remembering thing, as you get a little older, a little tougher. A little tougher. You and I both know those are those times you've gone looking for something, you arrive in that room to retrieve what it was that you were looking for, and you don't forgot what you came in the room looking for. There's those times you're wearing your glasses, you don't forgot your glasses are on, and you're looking for your glasses. Am I the only one that's done that? You know what I'm talking about? I am the only one that's done that. 
<laughs> okay, then let me say, I'll go in looking for my glasses and I'm wearing them then. We have that tendency. Spiritually speaking, that's present as well. And so here we go, and we're going to go back into some scripture, and it's going to sound like God is just on repeat. Rent cycle. But he's not. He's not. He's not just speaking to be speaking. He is speaking for the benefit of you and I, the hearers of what it is that he's saying. So let's look at the scripture. Verse 1 and 2, that's where we're going to begin. It says, the Lord said to Moses, and I've always said, whenever we're reading the scripture, and any verse starts with the Lord says, or said to, who, whatever, man, listen. When God speaks, it's worth listening to. And this is what the scripture says. The Lord said to Moses, consecrate to me every firstborn male, the first offspring of every womb among the Israelites belongs to me, whether human or animal. That's where we're going to start. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we ask you to speak. Speak to us today. Speak to me today. Speak to our hearts Fix truth in our being, Lord, this morning. Change us. We need to see you more clearly in this present age, oh God, than we have ever seen you. And it isn't that you're not making yourself available, Lord. Our vision is impaired. And we ask you, oh God, to remove the scales from our eyes to perform spiritual LASIK on us, oh God, that we might see you clearly. These are the things we ask. These are the things we desire. And we pray and ask these things in the name of Jesus and the sons and daughters of God said, amen. 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 Okay, let's look at this. He says at the very onset of this, he says, consecrate to me every firstborn male. It is the Hebrew word kadash, and it means to set apart. Basically, it's a term that we use within this church and a term that many churches will use. It is a term, uh, sanctify, to set something apart for a particular use. And God is saying right off the bat here, he is saying, consecrate to me every firstborn male or sanctify to me every firstborn male or set apart for me every firstborn male. Now, I love what Jesus says in John chapter 17, he's talking about the sanctifying power of God and how and what vehicle by which he does it through in the lives of the church. This is what Jesus says. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is the truth. The thing that sets you and I apart, that sanctifies you and I, isn't our intellectual pursuits of God, but is the truth of God's word. And the moment we abandon the truth by which we are sanctified or set apart, the moment we abandon the truth of God's Word, we then lay our feet on a slippery, slippery slope. 
Whenever we take scripture and we embrace certain philosophies and ideologies that sound good, that appeal to us, and then we come up with this hybrid doctrine that somehow uh, uh, feels good in our flesh and yet it soothes our conscience that it still incorporates a portion of God's word. The moment we do that, we're in a very dangerous place. I heard a man who professes to be a Christian said that uh, he had embraced this teaching and I'm telling you, this ain't biblical. I don't care what anybody says. It's derived out of the book, The Secret. You know what I'm talking about? And it's the, the teaching of the law of attraction. The law of attraction. And it sounds really good. And you can bend it and you can twist it uh, to, uh, to make it more palatable and easier to swallow. But at the core of what it's saying, it is not compatible with the gospel. Not when you consider the words of Jesus. Not when you consider if you want to gain your life, lose your life. When you when you when when, when you wanting to increase, you decrease. That's how it, that's the economy of God. It's inverted. It's it's literally uh, uh, the the show the the Netflix hit show. Uh, uh, I call it weird things, strange things, strange strangers. Right, right, okay, all right, whatever. Weird things, strange things, crazy things. The concept of of the upside down, a principle I think that 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 is blanketed through uh, the the notion of this story. Man, I'm telling you, within the church. There is, a, there is a climate, there is an arena of a spiritual upside down, man, that the church is just embracing left and right and abandoning God's word and infusing it with ideology that is insane and completely unbiblical. And God is saying to them, sanctify the firstborn of me. Set them apart. And Jesus says right there in verse 17, that is your word, your word is truth, and the truth is what sanctifies us. And then he goes on, he says this, as you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. How have I sent them into the world? Sanctified by truth. Listen. When Jesus sends you out there into the world, if you want to be sent by Jesus, he only sends the sanctified. He only sends those whose relationship with him is built on his word, built on the very essence of the truth. Let's, let's move on here. And he says, The offspring of every womb among the Israelites belongs to me. Every, every womb. God had purchased them with the blood of a blemish-free lamb. Remember that? Remember the covering, the Passover, the doorpost, you remember? They were alive because of his will. They were alive because of his grace and his mercy. So he lays claim to them. And this isn't too much to ask of them considering what God had done for them. It wasn't as though God was saying to them, let me have your children that I might work, some, uh, uh, work, work this uh, uh, demise in their life. He said, set them apart for my service that I might show and demonstrate myself through them. And that's not too much to ask considering the only reason they were alive was because of God and His provision. As a matter of fact, when you consider what God had done, 
and what God was asking, it kind of sounds a whole lot like Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Let me read that to you. Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, considering what God has done, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, this is your true and proper worship. And the King James renders that last portion of it even sweeter when it says, this is your reasonable service. You know what he's saying? You know what the scripture is saying? In view of God's mercy, doing this, living your life out as a living sacrifice, this is reasonable for God to ask of you. And it's playing out right here. And that's how he opens this thing up. Right? God, let me say this to you. God could never ask too much of us. Not to those of us who claim Jesus, who have been redeemed by the blood of Christ. God could never ask too much of us. And let me say this to you guys to encourage you because I know these things will come up in your life because they've come up in my life. I remember hearing the eloquent words of one Corey Ten Boom when she said these words. She said, the things that you hold dearest hold with a loose grip because there's nothing more painful than to have God pry your fingers from the things that you love most. Mother, father, hold your children before God with a loose grip, Tim. Hold, when God asks of them, when God calls them, you're going to have to be able to let them go. All things, your finances, your future, your jobs, all of those things must be held almost open-handedly. Because the stronger you hang on to them, the more difficult it'll become for you when each finger is pried loose by the love of God for your benefit. There's nothing, nothing off limits that God should not have access to in our lives. Nothing. Not what he saved you. What a ridiculous notion to look at God and say, back up. You're asking too much. You're intruding too far. You're encroaching upon the intimate areas of my life. What a ridiculous stance to resist God in such a manner. Then Moses said to the people, commemorate this day. The day you came out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery, because the Lord brought you out of it with a mighty hand. Eat nothing containing yeast. Today in the month of Aviv, you are leaving. Commemorate. Hebrews, a car. It doesn't just mean to remember, but it means a continual remembering. The word zakar, when you're reading the, in the Septuagint, the, it is, is actually translated uh, as a verb, uh, memnescu, which is an imperative or a command, right? In the present tense, which calls for exercising memory. It isn't just this idea of this uh, floating thought through your mind. It is a laboring activity to recall and to remember. It is an effort thing. When he says commemorate, it is an effort thing to remember. Listen, let me say this. 
If the children of God, the church, could recall with precision, which it typically recalls with a level of of vagueness, but if we could recall with precision in our memories, in our spirits, the things that God has done for us, on the same level we recall with precision the offenses that people have committed against us, Man, I talk to people about the thing God, and man, they, they start talking to me, and I feel like I feel like they're speaking into the ether, man. I don't know. I mean, it's so vague and so foggy, and well, it's it's this that. But the moment, man, they start talking about how someone has wronged them, precision, man, they can tell you each word verbatim. I mean, it's like they go into a mode. And they start. Oh, she said. I mean, it's it's incredible. Like what? I mean, my goodness. And I'm like, hey, brother, I said, what, what, what is your favorite scripture? And they're like, what? Scripture? Oh, Jesus wept. I'm like, oh, good move. Right? But what he's calling for, when he says commemorate, he, he's calling for an exercising of your will to remember this. To remember this. Uh, Carrie. And Kim knows this. Carrie had to go uh, had to go take a test. FFA, correct? It was with the FFA, I think it was, and it was a, a pilot's license. So we now have another pilot in the church. Did y'all know Carrie's a pilot? How many people in here knew Carrie was a pilot? Well, she flies drones. She had to get her pilot license to fly drones. Okay, okay, okay. Not okay. He's, she's not Bob Thrush. All right. But she had, she had to get her, her, her license to fly uh, these drones on federal property and uh, state property and such. You know, if you get on these properties and, and, and you don't have a, a license to fly that, I mean, you're talking about a fine, $10,000. And I'm not paying it fine. She needs to get her license, right? So she says to me as she's doing, and I'm telling you, this test is legit. It is difficult, Right? So she's, she's studied for days for this test. But then she comes in there and she employs my efforts to help her. And she says, Trent, I need you to give me these tests. I need you to read me these questions. So I read through them and she answered all of them in an accept, you know, you know, satisfactory manner. And then she said, I need you to read them to me again. And I'm like, again? Again, the NBA draft's coming on. Right, right? She, I need you. So I read them to her again. Answered them all. Then she said, one more time. I said, okay. And I read them again. Then she said, one more time. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, okay. You know, we're like in second round by now. Right? And so, and so uh, 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 I read them to her again. I drive with her to Somerset. She goes into this community college, take his test. She comes out, she scored exceptionally well. The, the instructor said to her, said, you must have really prepared for that test. And she said, yeah, I did. And, and my, my husband helped me some, right, right? And that, that's fair. Now the thing about it was, I went over the exact same information that she had went over. We had two different intentions. Her intention was to remember. My intention was to get through. And I'm telling you, 
in the church sometimes? We're just looking to get through, man. We're just looking to get through when God has called us to a place of deep holding on the thing that he has done. I don't want to just get through. I don't want you to just get through. I want you to hold. I want you to have watershed moments in your life with God, experiences where God breaks through in your life that you can look back on, that you can cling to. And this is what the scripture says. Commemorate this day, the day you came out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery, because the Lord brought you out with a mighty hand. And then the scripture goes on. And he says, now get this, stick with me. We're going to get through some redundance here in a minute, but you got to stick with me on this. He says, when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Hivites, and Jebusites, and every preacher reading this scripture says, and termites, right? That's, that's the joke, right? It says, the land he swore to your ancestors, ancestors to give to you, a land flowing with milk and honey. Now, remember what it says, when the Lord brings you into this land that's occupied by Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Hivites, and Jebusites, the land he swore to your ancestors to give to you, and then he says, a land flowing with milk and honey, you are to observe this ceremony in this month. You are to observe and remember. That's part of the observation. You are to observe this. When you come into that land, you are to observe this. Do you know why? Do you know? When I read this scripture, it literally just peeled right off the pages to me. I'm going to tell you why he says to them. What I believe the intent behind this scripture. It is this. They are going into a place where there are residents of resistance and conflict awaiting them. And he says, when there's opposition, there's hostility, there's residents who, who occupy this land who are going to resist you, remember, observe, when you're in the resistance. And then he says, when you get to that land flowing with milk and honey, which reproduces the, the, the provision of God and the blessing and the, the, the prosperity of God, you know what he says? Observe and remember. Do you know why? Do you know why? Because we all have a tendency, back to the beginning, we all have a tendency to suffer spiritual amnesia when resistance is great. And we also forget, we also have spiritual amnesia when things are going good. And in both cases, when you come into this land and resistance is present, when blessings is present, remember. That's what he said, observe. The provisions of God, the land flowing with milk and honey. The occupants, this represents the difficulty and the challenges. 
And what does he say? You are to observe this ceremony in this month. Listen, listen, get this. Regardless of the circumstances and the conditions of your life, he is saying to them, observe and remember. Whether it's difficult or whether things are going your way, whether the prosperity is present or opposition, regardless of the circumstances, remember. You know what he's saying to remember? Him. His faithfulness. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16 through 18, this is a familiar scripture to each of us. And it says this, rejoice always, right? Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. How do you rejoice always? How does that even happen? How do we rejoice always? By remembering God's faithfulness. How do you rejoice when life is difficult? Man, you've been dealt a bad, bad hand. How do you rejoice when you remember the faithfulness of God? And you're not blinded. And you don't slip into this state of self-pity. But you can rejoice because of his faithfulness. How do we muster up and conjure up the stamina, the endurance to continually pray when life is against us? By remembering God's faithfulness. It should be the energy, the force, the fuel behind the engines of prayer in our beings that keeps the thing churning and churning even when there's opposition and walls and barriers. Why? Because of his faithfulness, Jay. And how do we give thanks in all circumstances? How do we do that? By remembering God's faithfulness. By remembering God's faithfulness. The scripture goes on. And this is what it says. It says, For seven days eat bread made without yeast, and on the seventh day hold a festival to the Lord. Eat unleavened bread during those seven days. We understand what the leaven represents, right? You know, they, they had to get out quickly, right? They didn't have time for the leaven to rise. It, it basically represents the speed, the velocity in which they exited ex, uh, 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 Egypt. Eat unleavened bread during those seven days. Nothing with yeast in it is to be seen among you, nor shall any yeast be seen anywhere within your borders. On that day, now watch this. Watch this. On that day, tell your son, not your sons, plural, but your son. I do this because what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. Do you see that? You see how God kind of just focuses in on the smallest denominator, that being the one father, the one son. You see the intimacy involved in that? This is a nation. 
This is a, a, a nation that was saved, made up of individuals. <clears throat> you get what I'm saying? God was speaking to each man, each one, about his own, his own home, his own life. And in so doing, speaking to each man, he spoke to the nation. Let me say this to you, okay? When you find a church where God is moving as a whole, it's directly contingent on God moving in the lives of individuals within that church. It isn't just happening, happening by God is working in the lives of individuals who collectively come together and exercise a corporate expression of God working amongst them all. Do you get that? You understand what I'm saying? A strong church is made up of individuals, individuals who trust Him. He, he says to them, He says to them, on that day, tell your son, I do this because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. This observance will be for you like a sign on your hand and a reminder on your forehead that this law of the Lord is to be on your lips. Now listen. You, you did catch that. It said it will be like, under, like a sign. You see that? It said it will be like a sign, right? Like a sign on your hand and a reminder on your forehead. Now, when you go into Orthodox Judaism, in the Middle East, and even in America, there's things called phylacteries. We know what we're talking about, right? We, we know what I'm talking about. I'm sorry, phylacteries. You know what a phylactery is? Clark, throw up the first picture. This is a phylactery. This is what Jewish people do, Orthodox Jews do today. Let me see the little leather box on his forehead. They have literally taken this scripture, literally. Even though the scripture says it'll be like a sign of doing this. So they do this. And they literally take these little leather boxes. You know what's in those little leather boxes? The Word of God. And if you're right-handed on your left hand, there will be a, a leather tethered strap that wraps around your arm seven times. And there will be a phylactery attached to your arm. Show them the other one, Clark. And he's doing the same thing. You see it on his left arm over there? And there will be a phylactery around the bicep. and It will be strapped to the left arm. And that's what they're doing right there. We're thousands of years later. And their, attempt, their attempts here are noble. You know what they're trying to do? They have taken measures to ensure that they remember this scripture. Even though it was to be like a sign, they have gone to the furthest extent of this and they have literally attached the word of God to their foreheads and the word of God to their hands or their arms. Do you know why? Because they were not in Egypt. But the message and the story of God has been passed down through generations and they have embraced it as their own story to the extent that they will wear these items, these phylacteries, into worship, into prayer. There is something beautifully meaningful about this, and the reason I know this is because the enemy 
the enemy likes to uh, replicate or copy because he, he's false, but he likes to produce in like manner something similar to the Father. And I think the efforts and the intention, intentions are, are, are mockery. You say, well, what are you talking about? Well, let me just jump on a scripture and we'll move quickly out of that. It's in Revelations chapter 13, verses 16 and 17. It says, He causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand or on their foreheads. And that no one may buy or sell except one who has the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. You know what he's doing? He's doing the same thing. He's trying, it's a mocking, it's a mocking effort of the enemy. But the scripture says, for the Lord will continue, for the Lord brought you out of Egypt with his mighty hand. Now how many times have we already read that? How many times have we read that, Kellen? You must keep this ordinance at the appointed time year after year. After the Lord brings you into the land of the, of the Canaanites and gives it to you, as he promised on oath to you, to you and your ancestors. I love this. I love, I love that this revelation is implying and pointing to the faithfulness of God once again. Hey guys, remember where this thing started. Remember Father Abraham. Remember the covenant. Remember the promise. God's going to deliver this. That's what he throughout this text. He's saying, remember, remember, remember. You're to give over to the Lord the first offspring of every womb. All the firstborn males of your livestock belong to the Lord. Redeem with a lamb every firstborn donkey. But if you do not redeem it, break its neck. Now listen, the donkey couldn't be used as a sacrifice in a sense because it was an unclean animal. But it was a very serviceable animal. Important to the, to the nation itself. God again interjects himself, makes provision that you could sacrifice a lamb to spare a donkey that would be of greater service to the families of God. And so he makes provision once again. But he said, if you're not going to enact uh, this provision, then the donkey must die. It can't be sacrificed in a sense as an offering, but it must die. You must break its neck. And then it says this, redeem every firstborn among your sons. Literally, they would, they would take a, make a sacrifice and then commit the child to God for service. You remember the story in 1 Samuel, right? You remember the story in 1 Samuel chapter 1, verses 24 and 28. Remember Hannah? She couldn't have a kid. Remember this story? Remember weeping, mourning? She was brokenhearted. And God answers her cries. Remember that? And when, when Samuel was born, she takes him, right? And she commits him, she, she performs a sacrifice. And commits him to the service of God. You know what she was doing in that act? She was redeeming him. 
And she was giving back to God what God had given her. And this thing has ties all the way back to Exodus chapter 13. I'm going to read verse 14 through 16 and we're going to close. In days to come when your son asks you, this sounds redundant, right? What does this mean say to him? With a mighty hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. There it is again. Listen, if you leave here with nothing else this morning, leave here knowing what God done for them. When Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, the Lord killed the firstborn of both people and animals in Egypt. This is why I sacrificed to the Lord the first male offspring of every womb and redeemed each of my firstborn sons. Do you get that? Here's a father telling his son, why, you know what has to happen before that conversation? You have to sit down. You got to take time. You got to grab your son. You got to get your family together. You got to shut some things out. You got to quiet some things. Turn off the TV. Disconnect from the Wi Fi. Turn off the phone and. Take some time and share and sit down. Look at your kid, your son, your daughter. And tell them, tell them what God's done. You can't, and Tim knows this, we've been sharing on with, you can't outsource a spiritual heritage depending on someone else to love your children at the same level of degree that you do. You cannot outsource that. And you've got to give your children something to inquire about. When they ask, why are they asking? Because they've seen, they've experienced why is dad in there on his knees weeping and wailing and crying out? Why does he come into this dark room at night, lay his hands on my head as a little boy and pray for me? Why in the darkness can I hear dad walking through the house whispering to God as we all sleep? We've got to give them something to ask about. And he says, when you observe this, when you do this, and they ask you to tell them this. And he goes on and he says, and it will be like a sign on your hand and a symbol on your forehead that the Lord brought us out of Egypt with his mighty, mighty hand. This is the word of the Lord going out through Moses to the people of Israel. These were commands that were given to them. Once you reach this land that I'm bringing you to, observe this. You know why we can't outsource? When you consider 600 some thousand people, men coming out of Egypt, Israelites, with women and children, conservative number, estimate two, three million, 
like I said, if you, if, if you did it on the, the, the model of my family, it would be about 7 or 8 million, right? But a conservative number being 2 or 3 million, the reason you can't outsource, the reason you can't depend on someone else to tell the story when you get there, because there's only two people that leave Egypt out of the three or four or five million that actually make it into the promised land that can share this story, who walked out of Egypt liberated by God. Only two people could even honor that word. We can't say, well, I'm going to leave it to Trent to tell my kids. I'm going to leave it to Derek to teach my kids. I'm going to leave it to, to Terry to teach them. I'm going to leave it to, to this person to teach them. I'm going to leave it to the church youth group. I'm going to leave it to, you can't leave it to them. They may not make it. They may not be there. You don't know. It's your responsibility. It's yours. I implore you, every man, every man in this church who calls Jesus his own, I implore you, own that. Every mother, every mother in this church who calls Jesus her own, I implore you to own that. To own that. Clark, throw those pictures back up. Throw that first one. I look at that picture and I think, what, what is in his heart and what is in his mind as he calls out to God? The other thing I think about is the faithfulness of one Joshua and one Caleb. For they hadn't been faithful having heard those words and when they arrived, those two, if they didn't carry out that command, this man's not on this screen this morning. And you know what they were saying in their faithfulness? If no one else makes it, if no one else will share the faithfulness of our God with our descendants, if no one else remains faithful, we will. That is a byproduct of the faithfulness of Joshua and the faithfulness of Caleb. You and I, the sons and daughters, followers of Christ, should be producing in like manner byproducts of our resolve to be found faithful in honoring God in our lives. Amen? Amen. We're going to do something this morning. Besides me waste all these tissues. I'm going to ask Carrie if she would, well, Carrie's already got her. I'm going to ask Carrie to come on up here. And on the way, just go ahead and grab the parents too. You know what I find so funny? And you know, you guys know this. I say this all the time. I say this all the time that uh, 
uh, I, I refer to it as like a divine coincidence. You know what I'm talking about? Divine uh, uh, irony, right? I didn't plan this. You know what we're going to do today? You know what we're going to do today? We're going to set this little baby apart. I'm not. They are. They are. And you have an opportunity and a responsibility as well. Okay? So we're going to go through this. Uh, little Joya Joy, uh, uh, we affectionately call her JJ. 